Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live for a Friday. We get ready for game two of the uh, NBA playoffs as we welcome in Steve Ashburner from NBA.com. Steve, uh, realistically, uh, the Heat without Goran Dragic and Bam Adebayo would be dead in the water, but I'm not ready to go there yet. I have a lot of respect for Eric Spolstra, and we've seen Tyler Hero put up big numbers. We've seen Duncan Robinson produce, uh, but clearly the odds have gone from like a four-point favorite for the Lakers to nine. I'm not a gambler, but that's a big change um, in the spread, and I would think that the uh, the odds for the series uh, have probably uh, responded accordingly. It's um, it's. It's a, it's a lot to ask. I mean, I thought that if, if the Heat had been healthy, um, it was going to be an uphill battle. They, they, they were not going to be favored. I wasn't going to pick them. Um, I didn't pick them. Uh, very impressed with what they had done um, in the East. But, um, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis, two of the top five players in the NBA on the same team, uh, with the rotation shortened down to um, playoff uh, workloads, you know, they're going to be on the floor a lot, and um, you know, just too much, I think, overall for for the Heat. But if if Dragic has an injury that's going to nag him or uh, sideline him for all or what's you know, le- you know, much of what's left of the series, and if out of bio, out of bio, he he strained his shoulder previously. Um, he seems capable of playing at a pretty high level in spite of that injury, but if he's diminished at all, I mean, it, it was going to be difficult with Anthony Davis and, and even Dwight Howard sort of revived. So, yeah, I, I, I um, like a lot of people around the NBA, I think we're, we're looking at a short series. Um, that's the last thing the league needs right now when it's, you know, trying to boost its numbers and, and eyeballs as much as possible, but um, I gotta be, gotta be realistic. And, you know, uh, we'll hand it to the Heat if they can if they can stretch this thing out and win, um, you know, a couple games. Well, anytime you get anything in your body that's torn, uh, that's that's a red flag. And, and here's uh, Dragic with a torn plantar fascia. Uh, look, the, the sore shoulder, you would think he's got a better chance. But that aside, in game one, I mean, a 45-point turnaround from the Heat being up 13 to down 32, that's, that's extreme. So, um, you know, Miami grabbed an early lead because they were able to uh, execute things when um, the Lakers started big with with Howard and Davis. And then as soon as uh, Frank Vogel, you know, went smaller with his his lineup, the the Lakers reversed uh, the way that game was going and and stepped on the gas. They were able to defend uh, better against uh, Miami's perimeter. 
like to play center as much as he prefers to play forward. Um, he doesn't even like the designation as a center unless it's going to help him get on an all-NBA um, team a notch higher or so. And, um, uh, you know, that, that – but the, that's the fact. I mean, the fact is that when he's their center uh, in, in today's NBA, um, they're a much more formidable group. Um, they've got better better ball movement, better, better shooters on the floor, and um, – you know, it just seems like that brings out their best. So, yeah, that's head snapping. That that sort of turnaround. I mean, that's the kind of um, point swing that can win you two games if it sticks in, uh, you know, the uh, the opponent's heads. Now, Miami's pretty tough as a as a uh, crew. They're resilient. I don't think any sort of mental residue is going to be their problem. I think physical limitations are going to be their number one um, obstacle in this thing. Yeah, I would agree. Um... Uh, I, I watch. I mean, Anthony Davis's first experience, uh, I think, in the playoffs, not not just the finals. Uh, let's just say that he's not bothered by the big stage. I guess you didn't hear me, Steve. I'm sorry, I lost you there for a moment, Howard. What, what was the key to the question? I, I said Anthony Davis's first experience in the playoffs. Well, let, he's been in the playoffs. I meant I meant the finals. So yeah, they didn't, they didn't do anything. So yeah, I, easy to miss. Yeah, I meant in the finals. Um, uh, he doesn't seem to be bothered by the big stage. No, and you know what? I think that that's part of that is related to the bubble. Um, now, the, you know, games one and two would have been in Los Angeles, and you know that would have been fine—a a happy, uh, encouraging atmosphere for um, uh, for the Lakers. But um, at some point, he would have had to go to Miami in the series, and maybe that would have been a little bit challenging um but it's in the bubble i mean it's just uh you just play basketball there's there's no hostile crowd there might be some uh uh unfriendly uh, piped in crowd noise but I'm, I'm sure that's not much to these guys compared to you know the unknowns of, of what knucklehead is going to scream what or who's <laughs> going to do what while you're while you're trying to take a shot i mean it's just it's a it's a controlled environment it, it's pretty much a, a petri dish and and so uh, guys are we've seen improved play improved shooting by guys who aren't normally shooters and I just think that the um, the stresses uh, from travel to hotel to room service to uh, whatever it is um, you know road crowds not there and so it, it, it's stripped down to a pretty pristine um, environment and uh, if the guy you know is a newbie or a new newbie in terms of playoff pressure um, it's less than what it would be I'm kind of uh, disappointed because it would have been fun to see the Miami Heat's crowds, if there was a crowd, uh, and their reaction to LeBron James. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, because it seems like, unlike Cleveland, well, if it was a finals with, with LeBron against the Cavaliers, you know, you can't just go by where things have settled in with um, with with uh, LeBron and that former franchise. He, he delivered a championship. They were so hungry, so starved. And, and there was sort of a mission accomplished feel and okay go off and do what you want to do now you, you delivered Miami not, not so much I mean he, he left abruptly he was more in his prime although he's got a very extended prime here but he was more in his prime that team had you know further ambitions they had gone on stage after the initial signing and talked about many more than, than two titles and you know and he, and he sort of left Pat Riley the great Pat Riley um, you know hanging and and you know we know where heat fans allegiance is going to uh 
to fall, um, you know, on, 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 with that fence. I mean, you know, definitely on Riley's side. So I would like to have seen it too. Uh, you know, it, it uh, I think we need more dislike in pro sports across the board. Um, you know, they can be buddies in the off season when they're playing golf or doing their business interests or hanging out with their shared agents or whatever it is. But I just think that for public consumption, it's nice to, to see when opponents, oppose each other and rivals actually have a rivalry and, and you know and I, I sort of I sort of pin some of the blame on that to LeBron for the big three thing that he did in uh, in Miami and rather than having Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and LeBron James go through each other they decided to do it together and so I would hope that Miami could snap back and look at him as a real rival and an opponent and uh, in spite of what he helped that that team accomplish. Steve Ashenburner from uh, NBA.com. Steve, uh, let me ask you, you mentioned LeBron's extended prime. Do you think that LeBron's legend has grown during the course of this year? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think each year he adds, sort of adds, um, you know, more gravity to, um, you know, what is his legacy. I, you know, uh, I'm not going to get into necessarily the greatest of all time stuff. I just think in terms of what, what he'll be remembered for, um, you know, I've, I've long considered him the uh, best conditioned, uh, most formidable um, professional athlete we've ever seen. He's had uh, the benefit of all medical and scientific and, and nutritional um contributions to his, to, to his own work ethic and and whatever his his individual DNA is that, that makes it all respond so well to this stuff you know there's never been better sports medicine there's never been um, uh, better knowledge on, on how to fuel your body how to recover um, you know the schedule has has been accommodating the league has gone out of its way to get rid of um, four games in five nights and, and reduce the number of back-to-backs and all of that. Uh, charter air travel versus getting up the next morning for the first flight out on a commercial airline. I mean, all of these things have, have pointed towards uh, getting the most out of, out of any athlete. And then when you get somebody that puts in the time and the effort and, you know, let's face it, that, that's been for a while, I guess, but when you don't have to go work a job selling insurance in the off-season like guys back in the 60s and even into the 70s uh, had to do, I mean, you're devoted full-time, if you want to be, to your career, and, and he is sort of the epitome of all of those factors, um, you know, intersecting in one guy. So, yeah, to, to be doing this at age 35 and, and whatever he does, I mean, he could dip down to 18, 17, 16 points a game and play, you know, till he's 38, 39, I would imagine. So longevity and, and, a, and a high production at an advanced age, those definitely uh, speak uh, LeBron James. Name. Yeah, I, I think what he's waiting is for his son to come out of high school and play with him. <laughs> yeah, no pressure on the team that he's with, right? The Lakers or whomever. No pressure on them to, to, to grab uh, in the draft or sign uh, his son. But, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great theater. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, about James and uh, the fact that he's a lightning rod. You uh, there are a lot of people that don't like him because of the decision, uh, stuff like that. Uh, I am taking the opposite view, Steve. I, I I think what he represents is what athletes should represent. He's forget about what he does on the floor. That's a given. How charitable he has been, building schools and 
Uh, he's not afraid to say what's on his mind uh, politically or, 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 you know, socially. So, I mean, he's an unusual guy in that respect as well. And I don't have any problem with him. I, a matter of fact, there's a part of me that, that roots for him. Yeah, um, I generally disagree only from the standpoint that I, um, uh, my foundation is that, um, I, you know, I do prefer, and I, I'm not questioning anybody's um, right to or ability to, you know, educate themselves on various topics and embrace certain causes and throw themselves into that. I just, um, I, I think sports by and large is best as an apolitical uh, enterprise. And I'd, I'd say the same thing about entertainment. I think we have very few areas in a very divided country where people of different um, views and opinions can come together and, you know, maybe learn a little bit about each other when they're sitting, you know, uh, cheek to cheek in the, in the stands. Of course, we don't do that anymore for the, for the time being. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and, and regarding, you know, like with the NBA too, I, I felt like, you know what, and, and NFL, Major League Baseball, my personal view is... You've got 21 hours, you know, uh, to knock yourself out and to and to stump for every cause you want. I just think that, um, you know, to to make yourself. I mean, it's very, been very self-conscious, in my opinion, with LeBron to want to um, grab at the um, the baton. You know, that that uh, guys like Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali and uh, Bill Russell and some others have have carried. So, you know, that he's totally within his rights to do it. Um, I just think that that's where a, a good chunk, and you mentioned this, I mean, that's where a good chunk of, of his polarization comes from, is it's people, you know, that might differ with him, love his game, love his results, um, admire the heck out of out of uh, what he has accomplished and still might, and may even place him atop their, their mountain of uh, NBA players, but they don't necessarily... Um, you know, agree with, with some of the views that he puts out there. And there doesn't seem right now in our culture a lot of wiggle room um, for disagreement. And so I think that it's sort of like, well, one side gets to speak and the other side, not so much. Well, you get um, Greg Popovich, who has, has come out po uh, politically. You've got Steve Kerr that's done the same thing. And when you get uh, Laura Ingram of Fox saying, shut up and dribble, uh, is he supposed to just stay silent?
I don't think we always see that from uh, some of our sports people these days. All right, let's move on. Uh, Doc Rivers yesterday gets uh, hired by Philadelphia. Not a shock. He was out of work for about three days, signs a five-year deal. I don't know what the numbers are, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, prior to that, uh, it looked like uh, Mike D'Antoni was going to be the guy getting the Philadelphia job. So where does that leave D'Antoni? might be interested in Mike D'Antoni um, if he were to ever hit the market. And, um, you know, the way it worked out with the Pacers, they once again get to the playoffs. Now they once again got swept. Um, so Nick McMillan, you know, was, was dumped on that pretense. But it sure looks now with the Pacers sitting there with a vacancy and Mike D'Antoni sitting there jobless, um, that, that that might be the match. Uh, what about New Orleans? What about Oklahoma City? What about the Clippers? Uh, Tyron Lue's got a figure in one of these jobs, right? Uh, yeah, or, or uh, Houston. Um, you know, that, that has been right. mentioned as well. So, right. um, uh, yeah, Tyron, Tyron Lue's going to be a head coach next season. Whenever we get to next season, um, I, I would be happy to uh, not just predict that, but put some cash on that. Um you know, some might think that the reason they got rid of uh, Balmer got rid of Doc um, so abruptly in uh, in L.A. is that he didn't want someone else to sign uh, Teron Liu as as coach and miss out on a guy that maybe he wants to hmm. install in that position. So, um, you know, I know Liu is is um, I guess talking to these other teams, but maybe Balmer is going to uh, swoop in and and uh, you know offer the best uh, the best package for, for Lou to stay right where he is. Yeah, rumors are there was internal strife in that Clipper locker room. What do you know? Well, only what else, what has been reported is that, um, you know, there, there were factions in there that, that did not uh, see eye to eye. That team had done, I guess they were considered overachievers um, prior to this season, the, the year before, uh, in the sense of, of not having a real star and getting a lot out of an ensemble. And then all of a sudden they get not one but two stars with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um, all of a sudden Doc Rivers became a devotee of load management, which he had not really been, but you know that was sort of Kawhi's um, approach to things in, in Toronto. And I could see where uh, there could be some resentment that there were different rules for different players. And that could be really corrosive uh, to a team. That, that sounds like what might have been involved and uh you've got strong personalities in, in players like you know patrick beverly and montrez harrell and um and lou williams and um you know that's what the reports out of los angeles seem to have been that doc rivers is a great players coach um but you know is he is he great at sort of maintaining consistency and, and holding guys accountable um that's a that's a different skill set. Um, you know, I've known Doc Rivers since he was a, a freshman at Marquette, hmm. and um, you know, a great fan of his. Um, you know, but but I think it's it's fair to say he did not max out what he could have during his time with the LA Clippers. They've had a lot of talent, and he's he's not made a uh, a conference finals. He's lost what is it eight game sevens in his in his playoff coaching career mm. so you know there, there are situations where um uh, you know maybe they're more of a regular season team than a postseason team and, and it shows at the worst possible times 
Which uh, was more of a surprise to you, the Clippers getting bounced before the Western Finals or Milwaukee getting knocked out early? because I'm based in Chicago and I get up to Milwaukee quite a lot when we, when we could do that. And um, I thought that they had learned a very hard lesson last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, going up 2-0, needing two victories to get to the finals uh, and against what would prove to be a very hobbled Golden State team. I mean, they might have been the team that won that title instead of the Raptors. And, and I thought that them getting swept um, by Toronto after that 2-0 lead, I thought that that was uh, that sent a clear clear message to the Bucks organization that we have to have other ways um, when teams essentially take Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo out of the offense, and yet it's sort of the same result we saw with um, you know how how uh, Miami handled them, and I, I guess I expected a more versatile. Uh, Milwaukee team with more adjustments and it was sort of like I'd seen this movie and, and I thought I was seeing a sequel and not not the first one so I was more surprised by that uh, Denver, but based on what he did against Utah, uh, to then come out and do that uh, beat the Clippers, not surprised by that, simply surprised that they could dig another 3-1 hole mm. and climb out of it Here's uh, the one thing um, Chris Marlowe who does the TV for the Nuggets was on with me uh, yesterday, he, he got a sense that the Clippers almost had an air of arrogance where, now this is coming from the Denver broadcaster, taking things in context. Uh, he, he just felt that the, the Clippers just had this air of arrogance uh, after, game, after they won their third game and went up 3-1, to one, that they just seemed to just coast through games 5 and 6, which which led to their loss and and I said, well, okay I'll take that to consideration but here's my question LeBron's the leader of the Lakers Jimmy Butler's the leader of the Heat uh, Jason Tatum's the leader of the Celtics where's the leadership come from the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard is a quiet guy he's not a loud outspoken rah rah guy no I agree with that um, to me that's one of the things lacking. In, uh, in the package that uh, when you when you pay Kawhi Leonard um, maximum salary money and, and, and the biggest contract that, he, that you can give him, um, you're not getting everything that um, you, you're getting some areas where he's better than other max players. And that to me is an area of deficiency where um, he's just not going to take charge. You know, that team in Toronto, they had, they had won. They just hadn't won a championship. They hadn't gotten to the finals, but they had won. Uh, plenty, um, you know, under Dwayne Casey and with uh, DeMar DeRozan, uh, you know, Nick Lowry knew what he was doing. Fred Van Vliet is, is, is brimming with confidence. They have other players like that. Pascal Siakam, you know, also a very confident guy who raised his game at a, at a, at a nosebleed, um, uh, to a nosebleed height last year. I, you know, they, they were poised to do it. I don't think they needed much rah-rah from Kawhi. But apparently, whatever was going on with the Clippers and their locker room and their dynamic with the coaching staff, um, they must have needed something else from somebody. They weren't getting it from Doc and, and his assistants, and they didn't get it. I mean, Paul George, another guy, not a you know outspoken guy. The most he's barked is when it's usually about his own game yeah. and, and then not, not come through. So, um, great, you know, uh, talented players. 
that's not their strength to um, to drag other guys by the scruffs of the neck. And um, you know, I think that's that's that, that was a problem for them. And whereas Denver, you know, if if the Clippers underestimated Denver and figured, ah, you know, they were down three one once before, they had to play seven games. They're not going to possibly be able to uh, to rally again. They're worn out. They're 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 beat up. You know, if 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 the Clippers thought any of that stuff, they were they were dramatically wrong, and they didn't take care of their own business. Um, how much, how often do we hear the cliche in in sports, not just the NBA, that the uh, elimination game is the toughest game to win? And it doesn't matter whether you're up, you know, whether a series is tied three three or you're up three zero. Um, that other team has a very good likelihood of fighting for its life. Now some roll over. But Denver had just shown us right there in the bubble they don't roll over, and uh, the Clippers didn't learn from that. Well, I, I, I get a sense from listening to Steve Ballmer, who's not only the owner of the team, he's a fan. Uh, and, he, and, he's very, and he's very visible. You see him sitting courtside. Uh, I wouldn't – look, Kawhi Leonard to me is going nowhere. I would not be surprised to see a major that – the, that the Clippers try to engineer a major trade, even including Paul George. Would you disagree? George, I mean, the draft picks and, and Shake Gilgis Alexander and, you know, uh, Gallinari. I mean, I just think that that's, you better win in the next trade then if you're going to make a move now because you feel like you need to shake things up. Um, you know, maybe it's out there. Maybe maybe Paul George is still regarded, um, you know, in, in, in high enough esteem that a team would send back enough assets to, to add him. But I think there's been a little bit of a pulling back of the curtain, a little bit of exposure that, yeah. okay, that's great, but when you get Paul George, you're getting these talents and you're getting this personality and, you know, how much are you willing to pay for that? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Uh, uh, Kyrie Irving uh, with the Nets. Uh, you know, I love when athletes <laughs> say things that make me just bang my head against the wall. And Kyrie Irving says, quote, we don't need someone to come in with their coaching philosophy, change everything we're doing, change up the wheel, and we're going to start running on the first day of practice. Uh, I mean, we don't need a coach? Really? Yeah. Um, how would you like to be Steve Nash? You're about to start your NBA coaching career, skipping any time on, a, on the bench as an assistant. You're going to become a head coach, and now you've got uh, you know one of your two best players Basically saying, eh, we don't need you in this job. Um, that's that's not a great uh, beginning, and it's it's um, it's kind of indicative of, of Kyrie Irving. I mean, it it's is. all of a piece in terms of you know uh, his his willingness, his desire to leave Cleveland and LeBron James, you know, because he needed he felt he needed to shine, and then what he did and did not do in Boston, and how they were better off with Kemba Walker. You know, a somewhat less talented player, but a far better teammate. Um, and and you know the the uh, you know where they got to in terms of the conference finals. Um, and now with Brooklyn, where even last year, eh, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? You know, Durant was out, so Irving didn't have that degree of injury. But I don't think he cared to play much if the whole vision with Durant and, and others, you know, could be there on the floor with him. So, not a great teammate. I think that's well established. And apparently now, not not, not a very coachable one if uh, if we're reading off this uh, the statement. Look, uh, Nash has got a relationship with Sean Marks. Uh, he got the kiss on the cheek from Kevin Durant, uh, which is, seems to be part of the requisite anymore to get 
to get a job is your relationship with players. But look, Nash has got a great roster potentially and potentially one that can contend in the East. But with that comes the pressure because of the expectations, right? I mean, they've got Dinwiddie, they've got uh, Levert, I mean, Harris. I mean, that, that's a that's a pretty good roster. And you know, speaking of the Nets, and I, I thought Kenny Atkinson. I don't know what happened. I'm behind closed doors, but I, I didn't even mention him as a candidate for a coaching job somewhere. Yeah, no, I know he has sort of dropped off teams' radar, um, and I'm not quite sure why. It might be the kind of thing just because you know the when the game of musical chairs ends. Somebody's not going to have a seat, and maybe he's going to uh, either end up, you know, a year away, or maybe he, he goes on somebody's staff and uh, gets back into the uh, to the game after after next season. Yeah, appreciate your time, Steve. Thanks very much. Most importantly, stay safe. Same to you, Howard. Be brave too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He's Steve Eschberner from NBA.com. Um. I, I, I'm going to stick by what I said. I think that um, that if athletes want to speak out, particularly in this environment with Black Lives Matter and so on, LeBron James is more of a leader than most people want to give him credit for. And I don't mean just on the court. I mean the way he has led uh, the African-American race and, and he has said things that, that maybe w- would have bothered some people. It didn't bother me. I think he's entitled to his opinion. Let's check in with uh, some NFL work. And we're going to speak to uh, Bob Sochi of the New England Patriots. Hey, Mr. Chagoski, this is Kate. Oh, I'm looking for Bob Sochi. Uh, I'm sorry, I think you have the wrong number. Oh, my fault. Uh, how about that? I got the wrong number for Bob Sochi. You have to find out where he is. Hey, Bob. Hi, Howard. How are you? 
Uh, I actually dialed the wrong number and I got some very sexy lady's voice. <laughs> so I was going to say, I was going to say, the heck with Bob, I want to talk to her. <laughs> keep that number. Yeah, I, well, I already lost it. Are you kidding me? My wife's standing right here. And she, I got no chance. Um, did you enjoy that, whatever that was last night between Denver and the Jets? <laughs> uh, I, you know what, Howard? Uh, I, I have to say that uh, there there was a bit of uh, I don't want to say if it's uh, sadistic pleasure in, in what we saw last night, um, but uh, it, it certainly was. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, for for football fans in New York, and, and really for the Broncos fans, I mean, you're talking about two franchises that, of course, uh, had uh, had their moments, and for the Broncos, much greater. Uh, lineage of, of winning with John Elway there with the two Super Bowl titles and Peyton Manning of course in that defense in 2015 for the Jets they still cling to Joe Namath uh, but nonetheless uh, for those two teams to play on a night when they had the stage all to themselves and then the way the game unfolded it, it was really apropos given you know the state of the two franchises right now and and, and so disappointing for their fans uh, who uh, I think for Jets fans they've gone through this cycle of misery ever since Joe Namath, of course, uh, left for the West Coast. And uh, they've had some moments since then, but uh, last night was just another inglorious night. And uh, for Adam Gase and, and his coaching staff, Greg Williams particularly, uh, by the end of the night, I thought it was real embarrassment for not only them, but I think for the league as well. Yeah, uh, and talking obviously about all the personal foul calls and the yeah. dirty hits, and that's just the lack of discipline. Um, uh, I happened to see Keyshawn Johnson this morning, and, you know, he played for the Jets, obviously, and he said that's just that's just unacceptable to show that lack of discipline. But how about uh, Sam Darnold and the, and the run for the touchdown? That came out of nowhere. It, it did, and it was almost like a parting of the sea uh, when he got past midfield. And in particular, there was one of the members of the secondary for the Broncos who had an opportunity to make the, the tackle on him, uh, at least in Denver territory, around the 45-yard line. I thought that Darnold started to go into a slide, and that might have thrown some of the defenders off. And I think back to a play a number of years ago, the Giants were, were playing against Vince Young and the Tennessee Titans, and he was moving toward the sideline. And Matthias Kiwika, who had been called for personal foul and roughing the passer call a week or two earlier, pulled up thinking that he was going to step out of bounds, and yet he continued to scoot down the sideline. It wound up being a, a pretty important play in a come-from-behind win uh, for Tennessee. And I was thinking about that particular play last night. I, I, you know, we all know how quarterbacks are protected, even when they leave the pocket. And Darnold was a runner, but I had to think, as soon as he started to give the appearance that he might go into a slide and began to hesitate just a bit past midfield, I've got to believe that that's the only reason why that Broncos defender pulled off the way he did. It, it was such an unusual reaction from a defensive player in a situation like that. Yeah, and then later on, he gets uh, sacked when he should have gotten rid of the ball at least five seconds before that, yeah. when there was nobody open, throw it away, and he didn't. And he comes down on his right shoulder, and Troy Aikman, I don't know if you heard Troy Aikman, he, Troy Aikman said he had the, the same kind of a hit, and he had a broken collarbone after he hit like that. And I'm saying perfect. This is exactly what the Jets need, another injury, particularly to Darnold. And he, I was shocked when he came back. Yeah, you know, it's such a shame, too, because I think that, you know, rightfully so, 
every time I mentioned Joe Namath, and of course that's what comes up all the time when one talks about the Jets' struggles, the continuous quest to find that next quarterback, the next franchise. And, and Darnie coming out of USC, I think for for good reason, uh, had fans excited in New York, and, and they, they still should be, uh, I think, optimistic about the prospects if he's paired with the right coaching staff and with some talent around him. And it's not only him last night and, and, and you know, the sequence you described, but it's also the situation involving their young left tackle. Yeah. I mean, if a, guy is in a, if a guy is not good enough to start, and you're talking about this is one of your cornerstones of your franchise moving forward, and if you're concerned about his health enough to keep him out of line at the outset, then why is he in there yeah. and, and seemingly – after every play reacting as if his shoulder is bothering him. And it's one of the problems you run into when you have a coach who may very well be near the end of his tenure, despite the reassurances that Gase uh, is in, in good stead with the Johnson family. Uh, but I, you know, I have to think that you know a coach who's really thinking about building something for the next two, three, four, five years is going to show more caution. If you're going to keep a guy out of the start, and why are you putting him in that situation oh. in, in the first place? No, that's a great point. Uh, look, a, a, as it relates to Gase, I mean, there were some thoughts that he might get fired after the game last night. Uh, I don't see that. But I will tell you this, and I don't know when when they're going to come up with a win or two, but if they're 1-9 or 2-8 and eight going into the bye week in Week 10, you, you, what is the point of even keeping them? Well, and I think, uh, the thing to me, too, is that you have – you know, someone who was brought in under the impression that he was going to be the quarterback whisperer. That was the nickname he was given. And, I, and I've and i often scratched my head about that. And I, and I don't mean to, to, to beat up on Adam Gase. He won some games as the head coach of the Dolphins against the team that I broadcast for, including a wild finish a couple of years ago in his final Patriots-Dolphins game uh, late that season in 2018. But he built his reputation or really uh, gained a lot of publicity nationally because of his work with Peyton Manning, first and foremost, out in Denver. And then eventually, of course, uh, with Jay Cutler for a short time in Chicago. But you look at Ryan Tannehill. What happened when Tannehill, now granted, health was a factor or lack thereof in Miami, but he goes to Tennessee and he gets a new lease on his career mm-hmm. and winds up with a new, very lucrative contract as a result of a change of scenery. And I, I just look at Gase's teams the last couple of seasons with the Jets. I often see an uninspired team. And even when, when you know, Rex Ryan's teams struggled late in his tenure there, and even when Todd Bowles had his problems there, against the Patriots, at least in the games that I saw firsthand, Effort was never a problem. Discipline sometimes, like last night, but effort never a problem. Yeah, we saw um, Mark Rippon's nephew uh, play quarterback for Denver last night. You know, that's the ninth quarterback the Broncos have had since Peyton Manning left the franchise five years ago. It's incredible. I mean, when you think about some of the people that, uh, you know, were seemingly in line to be their next quarterback, including Paxton Lynch, and I, I continue to think back to the reaction of Jerry Jones when John Elway and the Broncos drafted Paxton Lynch. And, you know, here's a guy who not only busted out there, but thereafter. Uh, I think about, uh, you know, the quarterbacks who have followed uh, with the Broncos. And, again, you're talking about an organization that had Manning revive that team offensively in 2013. They got to the Super Bowl 
got beat soundly, of course, by Seattle, but they got back there a couple of years later. You know, even though Peyton really struggled that season and was more or less a manager with a tremendous defense, you know, there was just something about him being on the field in that presence nonetheless in important games. And for the Broncos, again, to be where they are today and, and, you know, for one of the legendary quarterbacks, you know, a guy who I think is in the conversation for the most talented, among the most talented quarterbacks to ever play the game, John Elway, for for him to miss so often try to draft and identify uh, the next quarterback for them, uh, you know, that's that's really uh, confounding to me. Yeah. And uh, Rippin is a guy that I think a lot of people like coming out of, co- out, of, out of college as an undrafted guy, as, you know, potentially a long-term backup. And I thought he did a nice job last night for the most part of the circumstances until, you know, the fourth quarter when they were able to overcome some, some really uh, what should have been costly mistakes. All right, let's talk about the Patriots this week and a, a daunting challenge in going to Kansas City and playing the Chiefs. Uh, I, I thought the... Uh, the Patriots gave uh, New Orleans, uh, I mean, uh, Seattle rather, all they wanted uh, in the 35-30 uh, victory for Seattle. But well, what a tremendous stand in stopping Newton basically on the doorstep that, that would have given New England the lead. But having said that and looking where the Chiefs were on Monday night and the way they disposed of Baltimore, this is going to be an interesting game because, you know, Mahomes is having is off to a phenomenal start. And, uh, and Cam Newton uh, has been productive for the Patriots. Look, this is a, a, a complete opposite of what it's been for 20 years in New England with Tom Brady at the helm, and, and Cam Newton has performed well and has always... And I'm wondering if Belichick, every night when he, goes, when he goes to bed, if he crosses his fingers hoping that Cam won't go down because he's had injury issues the last couple of years. Yeah, not only that, but also gives thanks to the other 31 teams, or at least... A fair number of those 31 teams who allowed Cam Newton to sit out there you know, for, for those 86 nights when he was unsigned this season. And he comes to New England, of course, on the one-year deal at a veteran's minimum, uh, able to max out at only around $7.5 million. And even if uh, you know, Cam Newton does go down at some point this year, and I certainly hope he doesn't because you're right, uh, the Patriots need him to be out there and continue to be healthy, which he hasn't been uh, since early in 2018 with multiple shoulder surgeries and the foot injury last year, uh, still, it's a bargain what they have gotten out of him. The excitement and the energy that he has brought to this team, of course, in this transition period, moving on from Tom Brady on offense, but also going through you know quite a, a few changes defensively through free agency and then the late opt-outs during the summer before training camp. He played very well in the opener, carry the offense against the Dolphins, running the ball. He played very well against Seattle. He counted for 95% of the Patriots' offense in that game, running it, but primarily throwing it. Now, last week against the Raiders, it was a bit of a different story. The Patriots' offense, I thought, was very sluggish to start. I thought the Raiders were not fooled by a lot of the misdirection and some of the option and RPO schemes that uh, had been effective the first couple of weeks. Now that there was tape from which to prepare, the Patriots went to a more conventional running game, and Rex Burkett and Sony Michelle had very productive days against a depleted Raiders defense playing the 10 a.m. game on a short week, having traveled across the country, 10 a.m. by their, their body clocks. So now the Patriots have to go to Kansas City, and they've got to try to keep up with Patrick Mahomes and all those weapons. And I think the Patriots' defense 
while the strength is the secondary, nonetheless, they uncharacteristically this year have given up a lot of big plays. You go back to that Seattle game. And so I think that really the onus on this game for the Patriots is on the offense to, to not only control the ball, but they've got to be better scoring touchdowns. They've struggled with late three for seven in the red zone after that hot start against Miami and early against Seattle. They've got to play exceptionally well. They can't turn the ball over as Newton carelessly did with an interception deep in Patriots territory against the Raiders last weekend. The Raiders really, I thought, hurt themselves early on Mm. and had a chance to take control of that game. The Patriots did what they usually do. They waited for the other team to make mistakes. They pounced on them, and eventually they pulled away. They're not going to be able to do that going out to Kansas City to play against that offense this Sunday. Well, you touched on the areas where I said, well, you know, how do the Patriots have a chance? Well, the emphasis then would be on the run game to keep Mahomes off the field. And that means Sony Michelle, that means Burkhead. Uh, Burkhead. Uh, if they can do that and keep the, uh, the Kansas City possessions to a minimum, they've got a much better chance to win. Look, Mahomes last week accounted for five touchdowns. One he ran in, one he threw a shovel pass, one he threw the big, you know, the bomb to Hill. And then the, the, uh, the left tackle Fisher catches a touchdown pass. That reminded me when I was doing the Jets, the Monday Night Miracle, when they hit Jumbo Elliott uh, to beat the Miami Dolphins after trailing by a bunch. Uh, that, I mean, this, this kid, has anybody had a better year than him anywhere in any walk of life? I mean, my God, he wins a Super Bowl, wins an MVP of the Super Bowl, half a billion dollar contract. Buys a piece of the Royals. His wife is pregnant. What else can go wrong for this guy? (laughs) You know, and and Howard, the thing about Mahomes and that offense, and you mentioned Fisher and Sherman, the fullback with the shovel pass. I mean, Andy Reid has this huge play sheet. And he's the one coach in the league that can turn to any one of those plays designed for anybody on his roster, it seems. But, you know, and and, and it's going to work out beautifully. And it doesn't matter what the down and distance is or where they are on the field or what the situation is. You know, you talk about limiting possessions. Last year, the Patriots did a good job against the Chiefs. Kansas City was held to three field goals in the first half. The low score, or, you know, it was a relatively low scoring game. And then all of a sudden, it's second and 25. And before you know it, Mahomes is able to connect with McCall Hardman down the middle of the field with a 48-yard touchdown pass. And then it's third and 19, and they get another big play a little bit later on. And, you know, they score 23 points in the game, but it's enough to beat that Patriots team with New England stopped deep in Kansas City territory late in the contest to seal it. And I even think back to 2018, the Patriots won both of those games, and they really did a great job defensively in the first half of those games. Mahomes was in his first year as the starter. I mentioned three field goals in the first half. That was the regular season game. But then by, by the time regulation ends, uh, you know it's, it's a 43-40 thriller on a last-second field goal by Steven Goskowski. That Kansas City offense erupts. They are able to strike so quickly. And we saw that in the AFC Championship game later that year in 2018. It was actually January of 19. It's 14-0 at halftime. Mm. The Raiders want to, uh, the uh, Chiefs want to scoring 31 points in the second half, but 24 in a fourth quarter in which they held the ball for only three minutes and I think 13 seconds off the top of my head, if I recall correctly. So they scored 24 points in that amount of time in the fourth quarter alone in the AFC Championship. 
and after being shut out in the first half. They've won their last six games with Mahomes at quarterback after trailing by double digits, including all three playoff games last year. So even if you execute that game plan, we're talking about where you're able to run the ball and limit possessions, and you build a lead and you play from out front, which the Ravens did not do last week, except for that first field goal by Tucker. Even if you do all that, and even if the Chiefs are struggling for most of the game, they, they still have that capability with anybody out there to strike quickly. Hill, Hardman, Kelsey, Edwards, Hilaire, the running back now right. in the mix. He's not afraid of I mean, Sammy Watkins and even Demarcus Robinson. Those are guys who've all made big plays for them at crucial moments over the last few years. As Mahomes has, you know, won an MVP in the regular season, and then, as you noted, won the MVP in the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, uh, Andy Reid has compared uh, Edwards Hilaire to Brian Westbrook who he coached in Philadelphia, maybe not from, uh, you know, the kick return part of Westbrook's repertoire. But, look, this is a short week for the Chiefs. The good news is for them, they get to play home. If this was on the road, that'd be a different story. But uh, I'm not sure that uh, the, the short week is that much of a deterrent for the Chiefs. Uh, look, they're playing. The one thing you could say about the Patriots and Belichick is they're always prepared. Uh, yeah. there's, there's no question about that. Uh and they're prepared for every opportunity. When you And the same for Andy Reid. I mean, he finally got the monkey off his back last year and won a Super Bowl after all these years. So you got a Patrick Mahomes who's getting a lot of publicity. The same with Russell Wilson. Uh, Newton so far has completed 68% of his passes, but only two touchdowns, and he's been picked off twice, and he's been sacked five times. Um, but he's got four rushing touchdowns. That's going to be a problem that Kansas City's going to have to wrestle with. Newton on his legs, uh, he does put pressure on the defense. He does, and I think, though, when we're talking about the Chiefs in the, in the schedule, they are playing in a short week. However, they're coming off a game against the Ravens, and this is not to say that Lamar Jackson is the same player as Cam Newton, nor are they the same, same schemes. But when it comes to that preparation assignment, sound football, where as a defense you're preparing for some of the option concepts and accounting for that quarterback as a dangerous threat in the running game. Well, the Chiefs have been in that mindset now for two weeks, and I thought they did a really effective job against Baltimore. And, and although the Ravens had a high rushing total, they really had two long runs that skewed the numbers by the end of the night. Now, Newton's a better passer than Lamar Jackson, but that uh, completion percentage is a little bit misleading because most of the passes last week were thrown behind or at the line of scrimmage. A good portion in the first two games as well for the Patriots. They hit on some plays against Seattle and a weak secondary that was uh, hurt in that game by disqualification of Padre Diggs and an injury as well uh, to Marquise Blair. They hit on some passes deep to Julian Edelman. Well, the Chiefs are going to be well prepared for that now. The, the, you know, and Edelman's banged up. He's been dealing with a left knee injury. So the Patriots have got to find a couple of alternatives in, in that short to medium range uh, to make some plays, maybe even yards after a catch. I do think the Chiefs are vulnerable in their secondary. They're banged up back there. If the Chiefs commit to stopping the run, which I'm sure Steve Spagnuolo and Brendan Daly, their run game coordinator, used to be Patriots assistant, are going to do this week, I think the Patriots are going to have to throw the ball to beat them. So Newton's going to have to make some plays with his arm. And the question for the Patriots becomes, who's the guy that's on the other end of some of those plays? I, I, you, you can't, again, I think you know the formula we're talking about to try to compete against Kansas City and keep Mahomes on the sideline. Chargers did that brilliantly 
couple of weeks ago, and the Chiefs still were able to march down there you know, for a couple of late field goals, including in overtime, to win it. You have to take advantage of every at-bat. You can't miss turns, can't turn the ball over. you got to score touchdowns instead of field goals. It's like playing against Brady in the Patriots offense when they right. were the best. Yeah, I would agree with that. He's Bob Sochi, the voice of the New England Patriots. Emotion's a funny thing. Uh, here are the Chiefs coming off. Well, we talk about a short week. They're coming off an emotional victory over the Ravens because of the hype attached to that game before. Uh, can you do that two weeks in a row? Does the human body deal with that? The human mind deal with that? Uh, I don't know if it plays any role at all. Uh, they may psychologically be saying, you know, we got keyed up to play the Ravens, maybe the second best team in the AFC. Now we're playing the Patriots. Uh, yada, yada. I, I don't know if that has that impacts anybody even a little bit. challenges for every team that goes to the Super Bowl, and it's not only the teams that win it, but it's the mindset the year after. And often, of course, we see teams that lose it never really recover, at least for some time. Look what happened to the Atlanta Falcons after Super Bowl 51. The Chiefs have, I think, an interesting mix in that they have so much young talent, but they also have uh, you know, a head coach who's been around the league for a long, long time. And, you know, certainly reads the pulse of his team as well as anyone in the league. And I think is, you know, it, 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 there's Belichick and then, in my opinion, uh, there's Andy Reid right behind him. And Andy gets knocked a lot, and rightfully so for a long period of time, about clock management. But in terms of play calling and managing his team and getting the most out of his team, I, I, it's hard to find another coach, I think, that's better than Andy Reid, with exception, I think, of, of Belichick. And, you know, Reed has is, is more than held his own against Bill. It's really been a standoff with these two teams going back to 2014, you know, after Andy's, you know, first meeting with the Patriots as the head coach of the Chiefs in his second season out in Kansas City. So I think they'll be well prepared psychologically for this game. This has become a real rivalry uh, that, you know, the Patriots had with the Steelers and the Ravens for a long time in the AFC, those out-of-division foes, but nonetheless fellow conference contenders with whom you become so familiar. These teams are playing for the fourth straight regular season. There was that classic championship game in there as well, and the Patriots won in overtime to go to Super Bowl 53. Uh, it's been great football theater typically when these teams meet. So I don't think the psychology of the game is going to be any issue. In fact, there's, you know, the Chiefs have everybody back, uh, essentially. The Patriots are the team really with a lot of guys that are going to be playing significant roles against Kansas City mm. for the first time in their NFL careers. Now, some of them were around last year, but really didn't have much of a role in that Week 14 game. For the Chiefs, everybody's been out there. They, they know the experience of playing and preparing for the Patriots and Bill Belichick. They understand how well coached and how well prepared the Patriots will be going into this game. Patriots, uh, as usual, uh, don't they, they don't give you a little heads up about their injuries. Uh, what, uh, you mentioned Edelman. Anybody else of concern? Well, there's a couple of guys that uh, you know I think they're really counting on to have a role as rookies, and one of them is Josh Uche, a linebacker, and he continues to remain on the sideline. And then there's another who, who was not there last week, Joe Tony took his place at center, and Tooney's a terrific player. I think one of the most underrated offensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, he's the Patriots franchise player. He was, of course, a, a guard from day one in his NFL career, every snap of every game, until last week when he was forced to play center in place of David Andrews, who 
missed all of last year because of blood clots in his lungs and is a Patriots captain and really a leader of that offensive line. That offensive line is the strength of this offense along with the running back group when it comes to you know the other people around Cam Newton. Well, now they got to go to Kansas City. They catch a bit of a break because there will be about 15,000, 16,000 fans at Arrowhead as opposed to a full house there. But we'll see how the Patriots do with Tooney having, having to shift over and play center and a rookie, Michael Onwenu, out of Michigan, starting at guard. If the Patriots go the same lineup that they did last week. Because Andrews is on injured reserve now for at least the next two weeks with a broken thumb. And I'm curious to see against Chris Jones and Frank Clark and the Chiefs defensively up front how the Patriots' offensive line is going to fare this. They haven't had a penalty yet. The Patriots have played almost penalty-free football in general, but offensively they haven't had any penalties at all. Now they're going up against a much better defensive line than they faced last week against the Raiders. And again, they're going to do it without their offensive captain at center, David Andrews, and with an outstanding guard, Joe Tooney, being forced to shift over, allowing the rookie, Adewenu, to start a guard. Yeah, Chris Jones was limited in practice dealing with a yeah. groin problem. I don't, I don't know if he's uh, hasn't been declared as probable or whatever. We'll wait and see to that. Look, there are six yeah. teams in the NFL that are 3-0. and There is not a doubt in my mind that the one that jumps off the page is the Chicago Bears. I mean, <laughs> making a quarterback change in the middle of a game and Nick Foles, you know, let's face it, Nick Foles, the Patriots remember Nick Foles when he was in Philadelphia. The guy can play, there's no doubt about it, but I don't know if you watched the game, but, Bob, I'm watching the game, and, and Trubisky comes out of the game. He's standing on the sideline with his helmet on. He's got the look on his face, and I'm saying to myself, if you don't have any empathy looking at that, you're just a cold, yeah. dead fish. I felt so bad for the guy. Yeah, Howard, I mean, I think, you know, and a guy like that has been under the gun the last couple of years, and, you know, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate because... I wonder sometimes, you know, when we look at a guy like Mitchell Trubisky, is, you know, is that through uh, his own doing? Is it through a lack of development? Is it because the front office made a mistake and put somebody in a position where, you know, there were such, you know, I, I, you know expectations? Now, as a rookie, let us, they, they got to the playoffs primarily because of their defense, right? But they move up the spot to draft him number two. He goes in a draft that is loaded with tremendous quarterback talent, including the guy we spent so much time talking about today, along with you know some others that have had great starts to their career, drafted well behind Trubisky. So he, he goes into Chicago, they get to the playoffs, doesn't play particularly well down the stretch, especially in that, that postseason game, although it's ultimately a missed field goal off the upright that cost Chicago an opening round win in the playoffs. And then last year, it is a struggle throughout the season for him. And he comes back this year. People don't expect him to be the starter. I think a lot of people that I read and heard thought Foles was going to win the job in the preseason. And he didn't. Or in, the, in, in, in training camp, he didn't. There was no preseason, of course. Mm -hmm. Trubisky has the comeback against the Lions. You think, hey, you know, maybe this guy is going to take a step forward. He's talking about how much confidence he gained in the offseason, and he's ready to lead this team. And then two weeks later, he's pulled in the middle of a 3-0 start for mm -hmm. the team in favor of Foles. And, and you wonder, like, now what does that do? He was drafted high for a reason. They saw that he had some skills. He had very limited starting experience in college. Might he have had a chance 
to be a much better NFL quarterback if he doesn't go in as a starter right away but has an opportunity like Mahomes to sit that first year behind an Alex Smith or an Aaron Rodgers did sitting that first year or two behind a Brett Favre, have a chance to develop and then eventually be groomed for the role rather than be handed the job with such high expectations, you know, get a taste of success in part because of the schedule, but also this great defense. And and then once, you know, once you lose the job, are you ever going to gain it back? Are you ever going to gain your confidence back? And, you know, what does that mean for the career long term? Um, the NFC East, before I let you go, is a disaster. I mean, every all those four teams have given up more points than they've scored. Uh, Dallas has probably got the best shot of winning this week playing at home against Cleveland. But, hey, Baker Mayfield is a big game, and, you know, it's, it's that could be a loss too. But Washington is not good. Philadelphia is disappointing. And the Giants are, well, the Giants. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's the NFL, the one thing you can't, can ever get escape from is that what you think is obvious isn't. <laughs> well, that's for sure. And a lot of people uh, were knocking Doug Peterson for going for the tie at the end of that game, overtime against Cincinnati last Sunday. But I, I think when you step back and you, and you look at the complexion of the NFC East, in retrospect, it's a wise choice because Philadelphia has an opportunity, as they did last year, to, you know, to, to, to right themselves and make their corrections, and especially once they start to getting getting into the intra-division play, then they, they can win that division, and certainly being 0-3 is a heck of a lot worse than being 0-2-1 when right. you're in that division with those other three teams. Washington, the Giants, you know, they're not going to be there in the end. Dallas has an opportunity, but you know they're 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 riddled with problems, right? And and so I think you know if you're if you're the Eagles and and and, and you come away from that game and you know you're extremely disappointed that that it's a tie, you start to say, okay, you know what? We have an opportunity. This division's going to give us some time. Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of the thing that the Patriots sometimes had to deal with. Uh, you know, coming off a year where they might have had a lot of turnover, and I think back to 2014, for example, uh, when they wound up winning Super Bowl 49. September was almost like an extension. Of preseason for them, a lot of people around the league looked at the AFC East, and you know they thought that maybe the Patriots could, you know, were were, were fortunate they were in the division. And sometimes, you know what, that might have been the case because it gave you at least a little period of time to work some things out. And you know, I think back to the first four games of 2014, the Patriots got hammered on Monday night going to Kansas City, and they were mixing and matching on the offensive line. You know, they were a team that you know looked like they were real trouble. People were talking about the end of Brady's career in New England, the window being shut, but they figured things out and they wound up pulling away with the division, of course, and wound up getting the bye in the first round. They beat the Ravens in a classic game coming from behind in the divisional round. They beat really a weak Colts team, frankly, in, a, in the AFC Championship, and then go to Seattle and they come back against the Seahawks in the fourth quarter and win the first of the next three Super Bowls as part of the, you know, really the second chapter of, of, of their Super Bowl dynasty in the 2000s. And so I think of a team like the Eagles, I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl by the end of the year, but because of that division, the makeup of that division, they can overcome this really difficult start they've experienced. Cowboys can too, but I think, you know, for the Eagles, that tie wasn't so bad after all. Yeah. Uh, keep not, You don't do a pregame show with Belichick, do you? Uh, my, my partner, Scott Zolak, does, oh, right. does the interview okay. with 
with Bill. So does he? Uh, does Does Belichick give you samples of his stand up during that pregame show? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never been able to uh, to experience it. I, I've 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 been fortunate enough to be around Bill for for you know a loose moment here or there, uh, maybe waiting to do an interview uh, or seeing him around the building uh, and, and catching one of his quips. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, enjoy the game uh, this weekend. I'll be, I'll be glued at 4 t- 4.30 to watch the game. And most importantly, Bob, stay safe. You too, Howard. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. He's Bob Sochi, the voice of the New England Patriots. Uh, you know, some guys have good jobs. Some guys have great jobs. And, you know, with the amount of success for 20 years, man, alive. Man, alive. The success... That uh, that that he's that they, that franchise has had over the course of time. I mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, we're gonna hook up with um, with a guy that knows a little bit about the NBA. Now he knows a lot about the NBA. He's Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show. Hey, Gerald, it's Howard David. Hey, Howard, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, from the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NFL Radio, uh, and NBA Radio, I'm sorry. Um, did the wind come out of the sails of this final series with Adebayo, uh, a Doubtful, and Drogic maybe out for the series? So is, is this series a foregone conclusion? It's the Lakers in four? You know, Howard, I think that, you know, Conventional wisdom would have said that that was the case prior to Bam Adebayo and uh, suffering an injury and Goran Dragic was likely out. I think, you know, it was almost sort of like that narrative of maybe wishful thinking that they could possibly get a game. But I think now uh, it makes the task even more daunting. So I would say yes. Yeah, I, but one thing I've, I've learned in all these years in sports is that what you think is the obvious sometimes isn't. <laughs> True, but... Uh, you know, we, we, one of the greats and stuff, uh, and LeBron James has really proven a lot of theories wrong. And, uh, and just, again, the narrative that doesn't always associate with him isn't always the case. I mean, at his age and this stage of his career and being able to do what he's doing, especially, again, having a guy in Anthony Davis where, let's be honest, I mean, on paper, you know, you want to say, yeah, you know, the Miami Heat, they play very hard, they play the right way. But I think really also, too, aside from LeBron, they have they have a, a lack of size, and their size deficiency is showing up mightily in this series. I think the biggest challenge with the Lakers and how they match up against the Heat also from the Lakers' perspective is that they can switch out on everything. You know, they, they can switch out and guard each and every last one of those guys that the Miami Heat will put on the floor at times. But uh, you can't really say the same for the Miami Heat because they don't have, they have a matchup problem with, obviously, Anthony Davis. And then who takes on LeBron James? Yeah, and that's always the big question. That's why I scratched my head when I heard Charles Barkley one night say the key to the Lakers winning the series is, is, um, is uh, Anthony Davis. And I went, whoa, Charles. You know who number twenty three is? You know, I mean, it really. I mean, I, and I look, I, I like Charles. He gives me a laugh and all that. But come on, you know better than that. <laughs> Charles wouldn't be Charles if he didn't say some things uh, outrageous at times. Well, uh, I'm looking, but even before the injuries to Adebayo and Dragic, uh, I have tremendous respect 
for uh, Eric Spolster. I think he's certainly in the top three uh, coaches in the uh, NBA, and I don't think that Frank Vogel gets enough credit primarily because he's got Davis and LeBron James. But, I mean, I watched him the other night in timeouts where they had it mic'd. Were you listening to what Vogel is saying? Look, I was with Frank in Boston when I was doing the Celtics. He was the video coordinator under Patino. The guy knows what's going on. I mean, let, let's not minimize his value to this franchise. Oh, not at all. Hands down. I think even, you know, a lot of people took notice in the job he did out in, uh, in Indiana in terms of with, you know, a, a young Paul George and a lot of the pieces that the Pacers had uh, in place, and he was able to spearhead that. And You know, he's done a tremendous job, and I think the biggest thing is is that, you know, managing egos and personalities is a huge, huge key for success with any coach in the NBA. And you're right, you touched on two guys. Eric Spolstra has done a tremendous job. I, I might argue he might be in the top two, but two and three is not a big difference. Right. But I think also the job that Frank Vogel has done. And then, uh, mind you, the fact of the matter is his deal and that contract is very, very short. So it's almost in a situation I think that a lot of people, and even I felt that he was keeping the seat warm for somebody else. So be it if that was Jason Kidd or whomever it may be. But um, he's proven a lot of the, uh, the people wrong in the job he's done. And uh, he, the biggest thing is, like we just mentioned about Eric Spolster, you know, when you coach a LeBron James team, you're not always going to get the credit you really deserve. And then at the same time, sometimes you might get some credit that truly at the end of the day, it's not warranted. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're seeing both sides of the coaching LeBron James and the effects that it has. Yeah, I mean, the, the Heat the, the Heat Celtics series, this was about one team playing like a team and the other team playing like a bunch of individuals. And I think that was the key to why the Heat disposed of the Celtics. Uh, you know, a very talented team, there's no question. But this Heat team, and all of a sudden now on, the t- on, on everybody's lips is Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. I mean, these are guys, before the playoffs started or before the reboot started, we never heard of these guys before. No, I think that uh, a couple of things. And, you know, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, my co-host Rick Mahorn and I, we always... Yeah, what does he know? What does Mahorn know? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, for the most part, I think the biggest thing is that you know, some of the things like, okay, we've, we've gotten some phenomenal basketball since the reboot and them being in the bubble. But uh, I've talked to some people that have been down there, and they have actually said that, you know, when you look at it, it's pretty much like a glorified scrimmage. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? We said, think about it. You don't have the fans. You don't have the travel. You don't have the, the, the playing on an un, uh, unfamiliar court and home court advantage and all those things. Those things go out the window. So the pressure kind of sort of, in a sense, goes way, way down. And that's not to take anything away from Tyler Hero and, and, and Duncan Robinson. But I think you have to factor that in. But also, too, let's keep in mind, Pat Riley, who's been at the helm for quite some time with the Miami Heat, Spolster has been there. Their organization from the top on down is solid. And I think the thing is, they have guys that buy in, they have guys that understand that, and you have to give kudos to the system that they have in place in terms of scouting and these guys playing well and just doing what they need to do. And I I had to also say that I had to apologize to Jimmy Butler because when Jimmy Butler decided to sign with the Miami Heat, I just thought they said, okay, fine, he wants to go to a team 
not that big of a high expectation because the fact of the matter is they don't have the talent. They would be a middle-of-the-pack playoff team, maybe win a, a first-round series or so, but they wouldn't have the pressure of trying to compete for a championship. And thus far in that bubble, Jimmy Butler has proven me wrong in terms of his role uh, allowing these young players to be able to play to their strengths and not worry about having to say whose team is this and go out there and force a certain amount of shots just to, you know, satisfy satisfy his own goal. So I, I think it's it's worked out so well. And moving forward, I think the biggest thing will be is they will go from the hunter to the hunted. You know, they're not going to sneak up on a lot of teams or anything like that. And it'll be very interesting, hopefully, when we get back to normal, how the uh, development of those guys like Duncan Robinson, Hero, will continue. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm impressed with Jimmy Butler from the standpoint of he could be the leading scorer on this team night in and night out, but he's complete. He gets everybody involved. He plays good defense. Uh, you know, at one game I remember in the playoffs where they had eight guys in double figures. Uh, I think that matters more to Butler and, and matters to winning, too, and, you know, he came up a little lame in the, in the opening game of the finals, but wh- whatever the ankle problem was, he shook it off a little bit. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, which is more of a surprise to you, the Bucks getting knocked out early or the Clippers losing to Denver? Oh, that's a tough one, Al, because I think both of them were very surprising and very disappointing. I think I probably have to lean on the side of the Clippers. You know, uh, the Bucks is a situation where, you know, going into this season, look, they are great in terms of the regular season. They kind of remind me of the Clippers in terms of Clipper teams past with Lob City. Very good regular season team, but when it came down to the crunch and, and, and clutch time, they really figured out somehow, some way, they were always exposed. And I, that's the way I felt about the Milwaukee Bucks, that Giannis' game is still a game that's growing and in progress, and they didn't have another guy to sort of pick up the slack to help him and guide him along. Yeah. Uh, with the Clippers, I, I think that the way they lost that series, and specifically that last, that seventh game, and you're talking about the fourth quarter, it seemed apparent that they had guys out there that were shooting the ball, that were just shooting, just for shooting. You know, rather than pass up the shot and try to do different things, it seemed apparent that that team had really checked out and just the way they closed out. Um, that was the thing that was the most surprising. And, you know, Doc Rivers, once again, having another blown another 3-1 lead, uh, or the Clippers, I should say, under Doc Rivers' watch, blowing another 3-1 lead. So I would have to say the Clippers and the way they went out the back door and stuff, that is probably the most surprising of the playoffs. Yeah, and then the, uh, the reports of the internal strife in the locker room, uh, you know, they don't really have a vocal leader. Kawhi Leonard is a quiet guy. He's not a guy who's, he's not a rah-rah guy in the locker room. He's not the leader of the team the way LeBron is or uh, Jason Tatum is in Boston. Or uh, you look at the Heat and, you know, you can say that Dragic could be out of bio. They don't have that. And so I'm wondering, and, and eventually it cost Doc Rivers his job. I understand that. I'm wondering. And Kawhi Leonard's not going anywhere. But I'm wondering if some team came in with a boatload of positives, could you pry Paul George away from the Clippers? And I think you can. Well, you know, I, you know how it's funny you say that because you know when I when I heard about the decision to let uh, uh, Doc Rivers go, the first thing I thought about, I said, well, wait a minute. 
You think about all the things that the Clippers gave up to get Kawhi Leonard. You would think that they will want to try to make him as happy as possible, which they have done. And then you let go a guy that theoretically, aside from Paul George, getting him Paul George, it was one of the reasons why he had decided to sign with the Clippers. So that was something that I thought was very interesting. And then the way that Paul George performed, I think the biggest thing is, is that, look, if they could, I think that they would hands down look to try to go ahead and move on from Paul George and possibly recoup, uh, recoup some of those draft picks they lost uh, in, in giving, getting him uh, in, in, with OKC. So hands down, I think that, you know, Lawrence Frank and these guys, they're looking at the contract. You know, you have Kawhi there. But their goal is to perhaps maybe try to recoup some of those draft picks. And if not, I mean, how does that team get better, you know? Montrezl Harrell is a free agent. Are they going to be able to go over the luxury tax and and, and sign him? Um, Just the question of how do they get better, and then long-term, what is their future going to look like? Mind you, they're going to be moving into a new building really soon, so you're going to have to have some pieces in order to sell seats. And Steve Ballmer is not only the owner, he's a fan, and he wants to get things done yesterday. So I could see him being very proactive during the offseason. All right, Doc Rivers moves on. He's now in Philadelphia. Uh, he got a five-year deal. I, I didn't think he'd be out of work very long, and he's not. Uh, but he's going to have to deal with Joel Embiid. And, and I say deal with it because here's a guy as talented as he is and as great a player as he is, he's still got a ways to go. He's got to get into the gym and take care of his body because the one thing I noticed in the Boston series they just wore him out. Where he was, not, he he had nothing left in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I, you know, I, it's about that decision, and 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 I don't know about you, Howard, but you know, I was kind of surprised that Doc decided to take that deal. And what I have been hearing in certain circles is the fact is that you know Doc is still going to get paid from the Clippers and he has a very unique situation where based upon his contract he has two years left on the deal and now he resigns he signs with the Sixers I think Doc Rivers will walk away with a situation where look you know he'll go to his team maybe you know try to figure it out in the next three years or so and then perhaps you know you know, call it a career and stuff like that because I, I just was kind of surprised. So now he's able to double dip, if you will. You know, he paid by the Sixers as well as the Clippers. And he, yes, it's it's very interesting to see exactly him going to that team because I just don't see that 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 setup between Embiid and Simmons really really mixing and meshing. And I think that clearly, perhaps the the conventional wisdom is saying, hey, look. They put the coach in place. They're going to try it for a season. But at some point, if it doesn't work out, they're probably going to look to move one of those guys. And now it's all about auditioning and see exactly who has the most value. And at the same time, which guy is worthy of being around to build around that person. Well, prior to Rivers getting signed by Philly, Mike D'Antoni seemed to be the guy that was going to get that job, which means does he land in New Orleans? Uh, Most people think Indiana. Uh, could it be OKC? Could it be the Clippers? Could it be Houston? Uh, not Houston. Uh, so, I mean, but Houston's available to somebody else. I see Dan Tony going somewhere. The where I'm guessing Indiana. What are you hearing? Well, I'm hearing that as well. I think Indiana, and you know uh, that that style of play. It's very exciting. It sells tickets, 
And, you know, uh, I remind you, he's a, he's a guy from West Virginia. So, again, he has some roots not that far, far away. But I, I think the biggest thing is, is how will he utilize those bigs that he has in terms of Miles Turner, Sabonis, all those guys now going to be expendable or are those guys primarily going to be able to play exclusively on the perimeter. So it'll be very interesting to see how that, that, that situation works. But I, I, I think that that perhaps might make a lot of sense. Although I think that a guy like uh, Nate McMillan, especially with the talent he had and the job he did, was very surprising that he, um, the, the, the Pacers decided to move on from him. But uh, I think that would be a situation there. And, you know, a guy in Houston, I think, would be uh, one that's kind of telling, and I'd be really interested to see exactly how that plays out. And that being um, Sam Cassell in Houston and see if he would be in a situation um, that something would open up possibly for him there in Houston, a former player. And Look, we've seen in the past where these former point guards come in and be able to lead a team. So I would be very, very interested in seeing um, Sam Cassell perhaps get an opportunity there in Houston. And I know, obviously, it would be a fan favorite with the uh, Rocket fan base. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I think Tyrone Lou winds up with the Clippers. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I heard rumors that that Rivers wanted Tyrone Lue to join him with the Clippers, and uh, for whatever the reason, it didn't work out. But you got Kenny Atkinson who's out there, Nate McMillan's out there, uh, Alvin Gentry's out there. I mean, there are guys that are still out there. And if you heard the commissioner, uh, was late yesterday or the day before, talking about the uh, the lack of black coaches in the NBA, and you know when Rivers got fired, but now he's back in the mix. So there are five. Still not enough. Uh, I think Adam Silver is the most effective commissioner in the NBA. Uh, I think the players trust him. I think the union trusts him. And I think, you know, where the NFL's Rooney rule, which is basically a sham, I think in the NBA they'll come up with a, with a more productive system. Yeah, I think they will. I think the biggest thing is, is that, um, you know, just having an opportunity of some of these other, uh, you know, coaches, uh, black coaches getting an opportunity and stuff, um, you know, and just seeing the right situation and the right setup. I mean, you know, Mark Jackson is still out there, right. you know, and, and, and definitely seeing him have an opportunity. But, um, you know, the, the, the conversation is great to have now, so let's put some action behind it and see exactly what can come out of this. But, um, you know, with Doc being able to get another job there and then deciding on what Houston is going to do, uh, there's still some opportunities out there, so it remains to be seen. And then who knows, you know, at one point, I was hearing from some people prior to Doc getting that job that there was a possibility that Milwaukee, uh, with Doc being out there, there was some talk that, uh, you know, from what I had heard, that they were thinking about moving on from Mike Budenholzer really? and looking at bringing former Marquette alum hmm. back to uh, the great state of Wisconsin. Yeah, I hadn't the, heard that. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard that, uh, but that's that, that's interesting. Um, look, I'm a LeBron James fan, not, not for what he does on the court, more importantly what he does off the court and his contributions and his charities and the way that he has been there when people have needed him. I think he represents what athletes should represent. And, you know, is he outspoken about a variety of things, including politics? Fine. Uh, he's got a big name. Michael Jordan didn't do that. Uh, a lot of athletes didn't do that. But LeBron James is, is secure in his own skin. 
and frankly, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> oh, n- not at all. I think LeBron James has done a tremendous job in terms of, you know, what he has been able to stand for on and off the court. Uh, a guy that has really been outspoken and really picked up to sort of, um, I guess to say, he's picked up the baton that we've had uh, from greats in the past, from Jim Brown, Bill Russell, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, to name a few, um, and, and, and really taking that lead and that initiative to really speak out and be in support of others. Because you're right, a lot of the times, you know, he doesn't have to worry about that. He's taking care of his family. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But I think uh, for him to really speak out on a lot of injustice uh, and social issues, um, I, I, I applaud him. Because uh, it's one thing to care about your family, but it's another to care about that some they care about people that you don't even know. And I think that says a lot about him. Do you think his legacy has grown this year? And I don't mean just in the playoffs. I mean just overall. And I don't and I don't want to get into this who's better, Michael or LeBron, because it's a silly argument. But do you think his legacy has grown? I don't know. I think that you know, it's funny you say that because I was thinking about that a while ago where. He's going to get his fourth ring, and, you know, it's always been this narrative about him that, well, he's always needed help, you know, the great players never needed help and all these things, but it's always been something, a negative that is held against him. And I think clearly, you know, his legacy, uh, by winning this next championship, if it plays out that way, you know, does it enhance it? And yeah, I mean, obviously it will somewhat. Because that's sports, but I think overall, if he didn't win another championship, I mean, I think his legacy would be definitely intact. But um, I, I kind of, you know, I would if I had to make a decision, I'd say it would probably do. I think it would because simply the fact is that at this stage and age of his career and his age, um, for him to be doing what he has done thus far and uh, still be effective. I think that speaks volumes. That speaks value. That speaks volumes in terms of what he's been able to do. Where we have had greats in the past who, at this stage of their career, so be it injuries or things, father time catching up, they started to slow down significantly. For him to be in this situation and playing the way he's been playing, uh, I, I think it will add to his legacy and enhance it. At the beginning of these finals, I thought Miami would give the Lakers a fight uh, because they're so, they've, they're so deep. They shoot the ball well. They play great defense, obviously very well coached. Uh, but now, you know, without Adebayo, and it looks like Dragic is done, but Adebayo may come back for game three. I think we can safely say that a four-game sweep is real. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think hands down the only way – that the Miami Heat, and this is no slight against them at all, I think the only way that they're able to uh, at least win a game in this series is uh, either, uh, uh, you know, Bam Adebayo, who's injured now, but Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. One of those guys has sort of an out-of-body experience in one of those games where just everything they throw, uh, you know, hits and wins. Um, That is the case. But unfortunately, 
you know, and I think that I, I feel the same way that perhaps maybe the next networks will feel that we didn't get the sort of intriguing matchup that we all were looking for. Right. And I mean, that being a, a, a Clippers and, and Lakers conference finals, uh, Celtics and, and, and Bucks, and then having either the Bucks coming out of the East going against either the Lakers or Clippers, we didn't get that. So um, I had said before, in this bubble, you can expect the unexpected. If there was ever going to be a year where you wouldn't see the traditional, normal, run-of-the-mill teams in the championship, it would be this year. Um, so, again, thankfully we have NFL football taking place, uh, as well as Major League Baseball, to sort of soften the blow of really a lackluster NBA Finals. Hey, how many times have you in your career... Uh, saw something that an athlete said or heard something an athlete said uh, and you wanted to bang your head against the wall. I mean, I mean, I heard that yesterday when Kyrie Irving said, we don't need a head coach. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what, Gerald, that tells you that's the reason why he's no longer in Boston. It's the reason why he is where he is right now. And now he's, I mean, my goodness, say something that makes sense. That's just irresponsible and a discredit to Steve Nash, who's been controversial. I agree with that. But, I mean, your partner, Kevin Durant, said he was on board with it. Well, Howard, I tell you this. Uh, you're talking about a situation where if I am Steve Nash, you got to start thinking, what have I got myself into? Yeah. And at the same time, right. uh, you know, if you're in that management, you're probably saying, hey, uh, we better make sure that John Vaughn, thankfully we have John Vaughn there, but uh, if this could go south, we need to have contingency plan already in place. And, you know, it, 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 you're right. I think clearly this was somebody that Kevin Durant signed off on because of his relationship in Golden State. Uh, this could really get very, very interesting. And um, the sad thing about it is, we're nowhere near the start of a season, right. and yet you're having these things that are said. So uh, this is something that bears watching um, in terms of the only thing about this is you would hear certain things like this perhaps out of the Yankees or something like that in Major League Baseball yeah. and back in the days with the Bronx Zoo, but uh, it's not a good thing. And, you know, I, I, I think sometimes uh, saying nothing is the best thing you can do, especially if you're Kyrie Irving. Yeah, particularly with his history. Uh, but let, let's... Uh... Uh, let me just uh, uh, look at, uh, at one thing uh, about this Nets team. Got Durant, assuming he's healthy. Got Irving, Karis LeVert, Dinwiddie, Joe Harris. And they got some more players, too. The expectations are going to be high for the Nets to compete in the East, which uh, will put a little pressure on Nash because the expectations are high. He's going to be expected to win. a lot of the arguments in the past and some of the problems that uh, you know, you've heard in the past where coaches, he's a first time head coach and he comes in with two potential Hall of Famers uh, already in place so he has talent so there will be no lack of excuses and you know obviously look, he's playing, he's coaching in New York City, yes they're in Brooklyn they're not the Knicks but still that New York media is going to be uh, it's, the expectations are going to be very, very high. And uh, I think that's going to be all the way across the board for him. So, 
it's not a good look right now, but uh, clearly they're going to have to make sure that first and foremost Durant is healthy. Mm -hmm. He's going to be rusty, which you expect. And you got to make sure that Kyrie Irving is going to be able to sustain playing a season without a myriad of injuries that are keeping him out for an extended period of time. Yeah, Gerald, I appreciate your time. Hey, do me one favor, will you? Tell him, a, tell him a horn, that old bastard. It's time for him to retire. Howard, <laughs> I, I will do so. And do me a favor. Anytime you want to talk NFL, please let me know. I'm a diehard Buccaneers fan. I wasn't excited about getting Tom Brady, but you know what? I'm starting to warm up to the idea, and I think this could be a special season for my beloved Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, it could be. Hey, you stay safe. You do the same. Thanks again, Howard. Appreciate you. Okay. Gerald Brown from the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. <laughs> I tease Mahorn all the time because he's a character. He dishes it out. He takes it. He's a good man. Good man. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not big. I'm not high on this Lakers Heat series going any further, which is kind of unfortunate because I think what the NBA has done is capture the imagination uh, of. Um, of the sports crowd, even with the Major League Baseball playoffs going on and the NFL going on, uh, I think they've uh, they've done an excellent job. And you know, they're going to run out of days. It's going to happen sooner than later. But for LeBron James, his fourth ring, I'm okay with that. You folks have a great day and a great weekend, and stay safe. I'm Howard David. This is Howard David Live. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube